Before we get started, I'm happy to say that this show is sponsored by Honey Road, a Middle Eastern restaurant serving small plates in Burlington, Vermont. It's woman-owned and run. And my friend Tamar waxed poetic about the restaurant when I saw her last week. She's one of my more cultured and tasteful friends, so I called her and asked her to describe it. But I think we need some background music. Yeah, it was like really uh, delicious food, really um, by master chefs, really thought out, really unusual. Uh, For me, it was the best restaurant I'd eaten in in Vermont in a long time. And I will say my absolutely very favorite thing was the whipped feta, peaches, and honey. But everything on the, on the, everything we had was fantastic. So there you have it, Honey Road, great Middle Eastern food in Burlington, Vermont. Go there, eat great food, and tell them I sent you. Now, on to the show. This is Rumble Strip, America Heilman. I remember coming through an intersection, and I'm short, and so one of the people I was with picked me up for a minute so I could see above the crowd. And I remember seeing people in every direction as far as I could see. It was a feeling of, um, it was a feeling of, of an ocean. And I looked out over the sea of people that had come to Washington that day to sort of reclaim America or redefine America. And I knew that all I had to do was raise my hand and say, yeah, I'm a part of this. I want to be a part of this. That's Kathleen James. She's running for the Vermont House this November. And this is a show about women running for office. It's not about policies or issues. You're not going to learn where these women stand on health care or public education. It's just about the fact of being a woman running for office. And the truth is, I'm tired of hearing about women running for office. I think there's an assumption that I already know why that's a good thing. I mean, we're over 50% of the population, so there's that. But the fact of being a woman running for office, of not being a man running for office, I don't think we're supposed to talk too explicitly about that. So I figured it would be interesting to talk explicitly about that with some women running for office. And it turns out these women had plenty to say. And it also turns out they're all people I'd want to have a beer with. In this show, you'll hear from Kathleen James and Becca White, both running for the Vermont House, You'll hear from Christine Hallquist, a transgender woman and the Democratic nominee for governor, and Ruth Hardy, a candidate for state Senate and the executive director of Emerge Vermont, which recruits and trains women to run for office. Here's Ruth Hardy. Why is this topic of women running for office so boring to me? (laughs) The topic of the pink wave. Well, I think that the pink wave is kind of sound-bitten in a way that it's no longer interesting in in the same way that a really organic story about an individual woman running. We all have our own reasons to run, and the pink wave kind of categorizes us all as one human being that decided to run at the same time. When I talk about myself as a woman running for office, I Don't assume that people are going to vote for me because I'm a woman. I assume they're going to vote for me because I'm the best candidate. And that part of the reason I am the best candidate is because of the experiences I've had as a mother and a woman. 
and because of the experiences I've had in public service in uh, my professional life. And me being a woman is part of that package. And what we need today in politics is the kind of public servant that women tend to be, which is open, which is listening and valuing diverse perspectives and valuing an inclusive process that brings everybody to the table. Um, and that's what that's what women usually do. We have been for centuries doing that. And that's what we're going to continue to do if we're elected. I really think uh, gender is a social construct. This is Christine Hallquist. And we created the social construct of men so they can go to war, right? So we build this, you know, tough, we disconnect from our emotions, our decisions are beyond reproach. That, you know, that's not the way you get the most out of people. Did you assume when you transitioned that you already understood all of the cultural, gestural aspects of being female? And oh, were you surprised? Oh, oh, no, I never assumed that yet. I, I knew I was different from a gender standpoint from the day, I, the day I can remember growing up. I'd received so much abuse as a young child that in ninth grade, I said, I, need, I literally remember making the decision, I need to act like a man. And I did. So I acted like a man my whole life. So I had the whole man thing down very well. Uh, but, but the reality is, you know, when I look at the, the leadership style, I'm going to talk about this, and I, and I hope I don't, well, I might offend some men out there. But if I look at the leadership style that we have today, this command and control leadership, it's not very useful. You know, I like to say command and control is great during fire and power outages, but, but the rest of the time you should be leading through collaboration, right? So, you know, in looking at um, feminine leadership versus masculine leadership, feminine leadership is so much better for humanity today, especially with the issues we face. Women are socialized to listen. Again, here's Ruth Hardy. You know, how many dates have we been on where our date just talks, 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 and doesn't ask us a damn question? You know, so we, we listen, and then f- through listening, you learn a lot about another person, what their concern, what they're worried, what their fears are, how, what their values are and their vision. And I find on the campaign trail, I mentioned I've knocked on over a thousand doors, and when you knock on the door, you don't know who's going to answer or what's going to be going on with that person behind the door. And this one woman um, who I talked to a couple weeks ago, she just met me. I'd never met this woman before. And I was standing there in her yard as she was gardening. And she told me about the death of her husband and the death of her mother and how much she missed them. And then she related it to the fact that she really wanted to make sure that medication was affordable. So for me, as somebody who's campaigning, my nugget was, okay, affordable drugs is important. But that connection with her as a human being and that connection about loss and connection about love and loneliness was more important to me than check the box of the policy that she cares about. Um, I think one of the One of the challenges in the world the way it is right now is that we all just want to be heard. And so if I'm showing up and saying, I want to hear you, they're they're grateful. And on the more sort of practical campaigning level, somebody who feels heard and somebody who feels 
valued is more likely to vote and they're also more likely to participate in the process and feel like the process is meaningful to them. Given how horrible everything is right now, <laughs> is this an act of faith running for office that that moment can translate into functional government? Yeah, I think that I, I believe in our system of government. It's there to serve the people and it's there to be a body of the people. And it needs people who believe in the, in the institution as a force of good, as a force of change, as a force of peace and stability. But our government needs us to believe in it. This is Becca White. She's running for the Vermont House, and she is also on the select board in Hartford. The fact is we're 50% of the population. And if we don't have 50% of the leadership being women, you just don't get that perspective. Like the quote from Alan Kuna is, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. You know, I'll give you an example of our parking lot in Hartford. We have a parking shortage in downtown White River Junction because we're growing and we're thriving. And when I think about the parking lot behind the Legion building, one of the first things that comes to my mind is lighting because I don't want to walk from my car in the dark to Elixir, the restaurant. I just don't want to do that. I don't feel safe. And if I don't feel safe, I'm not going to go to Elixir that night. If you had a group of people who didn't have that same concern that I do, they're not going to be as concerned about lighting. And it's much better to have someone in leadership say, I can speak to that. And let's do it right the first time and not have to have 20 public meetings where people come to us and say, you really should have put that light pole. And guess what? You didn't bring it up because it didn't affect you. And it kind of comes back to that like wait your turn concept, which I think women experience more than men. I think about like the select board is a good example where no one asked me to run for select board, not because I'm not a bright young lady and people know me. Um, but because I don't hang out with select people. I don't hang out with 68-year-old men on my weekends. <laughs> I hang out with 24-year-old women and my husband. <laughs> so no one's going to ask me and say, yeah, you should run for select board because you're great and I run into you all the time. And we have the same likes and dislikes and I see you. So when I was thinking about running for state rep, particularly men, you're more likely to be in that circle. You're more likely to have a friend say, oh, I'm state rep now, or I know the state rep, and you would do great. No one has that conversation with young women because we just literally aren't in the room when those conversations are happening. Why should Vermonters care? Why should we see this as an asset? Why should they care about this central fact of your, I mean, a keystone piece of, of who you are? If you're electing a leader, you want to have a leader who's truly in touch with themselves and not removed from themselves. And So this conversation is really about my life experiences. The conversation, the campaign is about policy. But I, I will tell you that's interesting about, and I, I don't know whether this is a, a, fem, a female experience or a transgender experience, but I, I, I think of the irony of people who talk about gender politics. 
You listen to a man talk about their experiences. They talk about how they grew up, they went hunting, they went fishing, both parents worked. They talk about their whole history. And it's naturally, you're, as a politician, you're telling your life story. But when I tell my life story, people call it identity politics, right? No, that's my life story. I grew up playing a man. That's the truth. You know, that's not gender politics. That's my life story. You know, one of the things we, we talk about training women is what is the thing you most want voters to know about you? And what do you lead with when you're talking to voters? And I always lead with I'm a mother of three children. Because my life as an adult, and especially my life in Vermont, I moved here when my oldest was one. So my entire existence in small town Vermont has been as a mother. All of the decisions I've had to make, all of the twists and turns my career and my friendships and my community service have taken have been because of my kids. And they are the thing that would define, I think, in a lot of ways, my work in the legislature and how I work in the legislature. The fact that I can hear multiple voices all the time, like literally hear three people yelling at me at the same time. <laughs> I can think about the needs of multiple people at the same time. I can take care of, you know, making dinner and helping with homework and doing the laundry all at the same time. You know, I get up in the morning and immediately I'm thinking, what do I have to do in my campaign? Did the kids' lunches get made? You know, did they mess make the bus or whatever? So there are these things that we're really good at as moms, especially moms with multiple kids, that we've learned over the years from just being moms that we can translate directly into legislative work. You know, the same could be said about dads. Um, I think the role of a father in our society is still different enough that men are not doing the on-the-ground work of parenting that mothers are doing for the most part. Some are, and I think we're seeing change more and more. There, there's, you know, people who are like, that is just, I don't want to hear about the mom thing. It's not, it's <laughs> not, what is your answer to that? The hardest job that I've ever had is being a mom, and I think that almost every mom will tell you that. So if, if people are skeptical that being a mom is not a skill enough or a job enough to be a legislator, then they've never been a mom. Again, here's Kathleen James. There have been two times in my adult life, living here in a small town in rural Vermont, when I knew without a doubt that whoever people thought I was, was going to change. Uh, you know, the first time was when um, I went from being uh, what I fancied was an upstanding citizen <laughs> of Manchester Center, Vermont, to someone who was off to rehab. And during that period of my life, I will honestly tell you that there is nothing I wanted more than to take my daughters and move someplace where no one had ever, ever met me, because I felt um, at times so humiliated. But I had joint custody of, of two beautiful little girls with a, a great guy, my ex-husband, and there was no leaving. There wasn't any leaving. And instead of becoming the community of my shame, you know, every day that I stayed sober, Manchester became the place where I was writing a new story of recovery and redemption. 
that was the first time in my life that I became someone different in a small town. So I had a little bit of practice um, when it became increasingly clear to me that I was not going to be able to wait 30 years to come out as a gay woman and tell my daughters when they were 50. Because <laughs> I just, God, I just didn't want to hurt those kids. I did not want my children to be the daughters of, you know, that crazy lady who's doing something again, um, and now she's come out. Did you hear about Kathleen James? You know, holy shit. So when it came time to decide about running, um, the first thing I had to think about was, God, I wonder how I'm viewed in this community. Because it doesn't often matter. I, I don't think a lot about what people think about me when I'm going to the grocery store or going to pick up my mail or going to a soccer game. I, I don't walk around thinking, gosh, what do people think about me? You know, what's my reputation? But when it comes time to run, suddenly that question becomes relevant. Well, do people think I'm the kind of person who should run for office? Am I the kind of person people are going to vote for? Gosh, they know I went to rehab. Wow, they know I came out as gay. Geez, they know I'm divorced. And at first I had some thoughts about, well, maybe all those parts of my story make me unqualified to run because I'm not a blameless person and I'm not a perfect person and I'm not the president of the Chamber of Commerce. You know, I'm just this flawed, interesting, I'll give myself that, caring person who feels really passionate about community service and public service. And is that enough? And I'm a mom. Is that enough? And despite this feeling I had of calling and this feeling that I wanted to do it and that I was going to do it, all those powerful feelings I talked about feeling during the Women's March, when it came down to actually announcing or saying, I am going to run for the state house, boy, those devils of doubt start just gnawing right at your spine. And they tell you you're not enough. You know, you're just a woman sitting around in baggy khaki shorts. Like, what the hell are you thinking? But I started to hear a lot of people say, our stories are our power. And you've got a story and you've got some power. Why don't you give it a shot? And that is what I'm trying to do. We're talking not about issues. We're talking about running for office as a woman. Somebody could say this is just a, this is even just the fact of this conversation is somehow pulling the woman card. Is this a relevant conversation, a relevant topic? Is it worthy of discussion? And why? 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 I, of course, think it's relevant to have women running and serving in office, especially this year after we had the 2016 election where every card was pulled pretty much and played out of the deck. And some of them in a really horrifying way. I mean, we've seen blatantly sexist, misogynistic campaigning, and women are like, damn it, I'm done with this. I'm going to talk about how I was raped. I'm going to talk about how I was overlooked for a promotion or a job. I'm going to talk about how I don't get paid as much as my male counterparts. I'm going to talk about all of it. I'm going to pull every single woman card because every single card was pulled against women in 2016. And it's fair also because of the conversation we just had about how there are strengths that women bring to the table that men can't bring to the table. And so 
saying, hey, look, there are some things that I can't, I can do that you can't do. And the reason I can do them is because I'm a woman or because I'm a mom or because I've had these life experiences that you don't have. That's completely fair. Men have pulled the mail card for all of eternity. Our whole entire existence in this world, our entire human history has been about men pulling the men card. And now it's time for us to pull the woman card. We need to be in elected office and we need to be represented. It's time. We're fed up. I, I genuinely believe that on the day I die, I'm going to look back and know that America rolled forward like a wave, that the wave receded and we took a big scary step backwards, and that then all the people in this country of both parties who genuinely believe in the same things and genuinely believe in the ideals of this country took a deep breath and pushed a huge way forward that's going to take us beyond where we were before. I believe that, and it's why I'm running, and I think I'm going to see it, and I think we're all going to see it. You've been listening to Kathleen James, who is running for the Vermont House in the Bennington 4 District. Also, Becca White is running for the Vermont House in Hartford. Christine Hallquist is the Democratic nominee for governor. Ruth Hardy is running for Vermont State Senate in Addison County. She's also the executive director of Emerge Vermont, which recruits and trains women to run for office. I want to thank the Athenaeum in St. Johnsbury for graciously letting me conduct an interview in their beautiful halls. There are links to all the candidates on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. If you have a comment on the show, I'd love to hear it. Just go to the bottom of the show page on the website and you'll find a comment box there or comment on Facebook. The music for the show is from Blue Dot Sessions. If you want to donate to the show, that would be extremely helpful. The show pretty much runs on your donations. Just look for a green donate button in the upper right corner of the website. And I'm selling t-shirts on the website for 20 bucks if you want one, five bucks for shipping, unless you live in Spain or Sweden. Again, this show is sponsored by Honey Road, by all accounts, one of the best restaurants that has opened in Vermont in a very long time. It's in Burlington. You can find a link to them on my website as well. This is Erica Heilman. I'll be back soon. Thanks a lot for listening. Mm-hmm.